The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion, so if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the week or during the show right now from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner, and your anonymity is always respected. So today's show is titled, Boundaries Are Not Walls. In active addiction, many of us put ourselves first in unhealthy ways, often seeing our needs as more important than the needs of others. Now, while self-care is important, we often went way too far. So in recovery, we learn that we are co-equal with all people, no better and no worse. We learn to balance our needs with the needs of others in a healthy way. So today, we will share how to create a life of harmony with others using the spiritual strategy of boundaries. We'll begin by sharing our own experiences of engaging with others from a me-first way of being, and then move into the solution of healthy boundaries. After the break, we'll share exactly how developing healthy boundaries allowed us to co-create a life of harmony. So, Lonnie, what do you recall about the pre-recovery days related to, uh, well, what do we say, self-centeredness, me-firstedness, et cetera? Well, I heard it described as being selfish and self-centered. Yes. And, you know, I when I first heard that phrase, I thought, what? <laughs> you know, it just did not make any sense to me because I had, up until that point in time, at least in my mind, been engaged in a in a battle for survival. And this me first and what about me was an essential part of that, you know, making sure that I got what I needed. Um, And and the place that it went too far was after my needs were met, met, my wants took over. And so, you know, then I pushed, pushed the boundaries even further. I'm reminded there when I think about that of that thousand forms of fear that we hear about in the recovery literature. And I had the same experience as you. And I imagine that just about everybody does because, you know, that way of being, which we now understand is a 
uh, you know, self-oriented, self-centered way of being. That developed in me and in any of us, I think, for a reason. And, uh, you know, when I'm lit, when I was living my life from that place, that's really all I ever knew. And so when I heard that, I thought that doesn't make sense. I'm not, so I'm generous, you know, I, I leave good tips and that kind of thing. Uh, but that's not what it was talking about. And I learned that over time, but what always jumps to mind is that it's, it's all for me, it's all fear driven that thousand forms of fear always, um, pushing me, it seems to make sure I'm okay first and foremost. And that just became a lifelong bad habit that I'm glad I've uh, had some opportunity to work on. You know, it's a really interesting dichotomy, I will call it, paradox maybe, that on one hand, I would give myself, throw myself under the bus for other people, this element of codependency. It's my job to take care of you and did not know how to take care of myself. And yet at the same time, it was me first, me first, me first. You know, I'm going to take care of you, but it's going to be the way I want it to be. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it on my timeline what, with what's convenient for me in the way that suits me. Other than that, I'm, I can't I can't help you. You know, so even in an attitude of giving for me, there's this element of um, but I'm going to do it my way. You know, me first. I think we've probably developed a lot of strategies for uh, putting our own self first without it appearing that way. I, I know I did. And what I learned somewhere along the way is that, you know, you, I would tend to think of when when talking about self-centeredness, that that's a person that is always talking about um, how great they are and almost the same as ego you know, that phrase. But I learned along the way that going around with the attitude that I'm so wonderful is the exact same thing as going around with the attitude that I'm, I'm so worthless. I'm still putting me, like you were just sharing, I'm still putting me right in the center. It's still all about me. Whether I'm wonderful or I'm horrible, I'm still uh, putting myself right in the middle of everything. And, you know, something, you know, those those behaviors can be behaviors that are uh, observable by other people. But I found for me that it was also an internal processing style. And what I mean by that is I would think, well, okay, how can I get that person to do what I want them to do? What would appeal to them? You know, it was the scheming and the manipulating of how can I lay this out in a way that it, it seems logical to them and they'll agree with me, you know? And so it was a way of thinking before the behavior ever showed up. Looking back, I know now that uh, I did not feel safe in the past unless I felt like I understood what was going on. That's a primary driver for me is understanding how things work, what's happening, what's going on. And that is a particular, that particular expression of fear uh, led a, a lot to me focusing on myself because it was all about, can I understand what's going on? Do I understand this? Where do they fit in? What's going on here? How does this work? Because if I don't feel safe, unless I know how it works, that's really shoving me inside my own self. You know, it's a heavy mental focus on my own perspective, getting my own needs met. And again, it's, it's, it's not anybody's fault and it's okay uh, to have been this way. And it's okay for, uh, anyone listening now that might still be this way, I know that I still can be at times. 
Um, there are good reasons why we develop these what are really coping mechanisms, but we still have an opportunity to come into better balance and to do better. So even though I recognize that I didn't feel safe if I didn't understand something and how that uh, contributed to my being self-centered, that's not a moral judgment, I guess is what I want to say. That's just a fact of the way that my mind worked at that time. Well, and I think that's an, an excellent point that you make because uh, in the study that I have done on this particular aspect um, of recovery, what I found was that the psychologists say that children are self-centered until about the age of 12. That's what their world is and, and the world uh, caters to their needs. But my problem was that that's about the time when I started uh, using alcohol. And at that age, we know now that emotional development is arrested at the age that alcohol or drugs start being abused because it we stop feeling, so we stop growing through it. And so that survival skill and that childish uh, approach to life just stayed with me. So I, I think it's, for me, uh, there are good reasons. You know, we start there and there are good reasons for it to stay in place. But what happens is it stops working. It doesn't work for me anymore. You know, people run the other way when they, well, she's all about her. What do I want to spend any time with her for? You know, so, and I think the fear that you mentioned is is crucial, is critical. I didn't know I was in fear. Mm -hmm. But, you know, fear of not having enough, whether it was time or energy or money or love or food, or any, you know, any number of things, uh, friends, you know, that would drive me to behave in certain ways that were selfish and self-centered. I've had someone describe to me once uh, early in my recovery that uh, just in sharing her own experience, that what she was addicted to is more. She more, whatever it was, she wanted more of it. So the addiction was to more. And I know all, also with some uh, benefit of hindsight that that I always felt like my inner resources, you know, my energy, my emotional energy were de most definitely finite and that I had to protect them. And that's another uh, factor that sort of drove my um, way of thinking uh, in a, in a self-centered manner is that I, I felt that I always had to be on alert. If anybody was um, asking me to overtax myself, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about internal emotional thing, not, not things you can see from the outside, that I had to defend those. And so I was constantly out of fear and in, in yet another expression of fear, uh, wondering, you know, am I going to be okay? Is this going to deplete me? Can I do this? Should I avoid this? And, and it's just, you know, I guess it really is just another expression of how fear shows up and, and makes us self-centered, which makes perfect sense. I mean, that's what you would want to have happen. If something that truly in one's life uh, where, you know, the universal experience would be fear, you would get in a survival mode. That That's what it's for. You know, no, I don't want to fall off the cliff or get eaten by the animal or, or whatever it might be. Um, it, we become self-centered. But those of us who live that way in general, carrying a lot of fear, you know, we, we carried that fear response with this all the time. I'm glad that, again, that I've had the opportunity to heal some of that. You know, another way that that showed up for me was in taking things personally. You know, somebody would say something or do something, and I was convinced in, in a way that was almost paranoid, 
driven, that this was all about me, that their behavior was because of me, that they did or did not do something because of me or my response. And I had this high level of anxiety that went with that, which is I'm thinking the whole world revolves around me and everything that happens is because of me, um, you know, and, and I couldn't see it otherwise at that point. I mentioned before uh, how I'm somehow just sort of wired for the need to understand. And one way that that showed up in me earlier in my life as self-centeredness is that I was convinced that the way I saw something was the right way to see it because it was important to me to see things in the right way. And I spent a lot of time seeing things in the right way and uh, you know, any blind spot that we have, it's called a blind spot for a reason. You know, I've heard a silly a a affirmation, I have no blind spots of which I am aware. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. That's why they're blind spots. And so I thought that the way that I saw something was the right way to see it. And so uh, I think it's easy to see from that how um, I can show up as, as being self-centered. And then if I found, if I got more information and I found out that uh, what I was thinking before wasn't right, uh, that just meant now I'm right in a new way. You know, I was right before relative to the information that I had at hand. And now that I have new information, I'm right again. It was just so important to me to understand things. And again, this is a fear and a reaction to it and a defense that shows up as self-centeredness. And, and a way of being that became a part of my life um, after a while, you know, powerlessness enters in with addiction. And it's not just powerlessness over the, over the addictive substances. For me, it was powerlessness in general. I had this belief system around my life. And I believed I couldn't make a change in what was going on. It never occurred to me that stopping drinking or drugging was going to make be the change that needed to be made, you know, because I wanted the, the solution. Right. But I wanted the other people to change, you know. And so victimhood became a, a part of the way that I thought about life. You know, I mentioned earlier about um, the taking things personally. You know, that leads straight into victimhood for me, this victim mentality, which then, you know, shows up in behavior that is blaming behavior. You know, it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. You know, yes. and that touches on the need to be right, you know, that you just mentioned earlier as well. So for me, it's kind of a, a kind of a spider web of, of elements that fit together there. You know, sometimes we say, would you rather be right or be happy? And I had someone say to me, being right makes me happy. So let's shift gears. And now that we know about this challenge of self-centeredness, what is the solution? Well, in unity, we affirm the universal truth of oneness, the idea that everything is connected with and through and as God. And if we are all co-equal in oneness, then nobody is any more or less than anyone else. And so this level playing field gives us the opportunity to balance ourselves with all others in a way that is healthy and supportive of everyone. We do this through developing healthy boundaries, and that's what we want to focus on today. But what do healthy boundaries look like, and how do I know if I have them? Dan, have you got some ideas? I do. You know, what comes to mind to me first with this is being able to distinguish what is mine to do. And I don't, I don't mean like what is my possession, my car, or my wallet or whatever. I mean, what, what, 
what do I own energetically, emotionally, spiritually? What is mine to do? And what is not mine to do? It's a, you know, it's a nicer way of saying what's my business and what's none of my business. That, that, that being able to make that or developing the skill, the ability to, to better and better make that distinction. Um, that's what boundaries look like to me. You know, I can, I can be co-equal with somebody else, um, but still respect, uh, you know, what's the old saying? Good fences make good neighbors. I'm not going to trample their boundaries. They're not going to trample mine. We have a co, we co-respect one another. We have a nice balance that way. And for me, it's, it's, it's all about knowing what's mine to do and what is not mine to do. Sounds simple, but uh, I have not found it to be simple. <laughs> I tell you, that's the one thing that I have continued to work on is boundaries. They come in all kinds of flavors. So for me, healthy boundaries, I had no clue what that was when, when I uh, arrived in the program and, and I had a long journey to learn about those. But I was told that they are basically limits that we set for ourselves, which is different than what I thought. When I first heard the word boundary, I thought that boundaries were, were um, walls, that they were guidelines for the other person. You know, you hurt me, so stay away from me. You know, I did not understand that boundaries were limits that I set for myself, as in, you hurt me, I'm going to leave. You know, it, it empowered me to take care of myself when I, would, when I would set a boundary. It wasn't about the other person, it was about what I would accept. That's a really good point, because in a way, it's both, you know, it cuts both ways, but um, seeing boundaries as defenses, uh, in one way, like you said, versus seeing them as you know, I heard you describing more of like a self-awareness, self-care, self-balancing sort of way. I, I think that's a um, an astute insight. Um, one thing that's up for me now, and, and I have to uh, confess that this issue is front and center for me. Um, I'm finding in my life for whatever reason, you know, things come up and apparently uh, God or the universe has decided now is the time that you're going to learn about whatever. And now seems to be the time that I'm going to wor learn about the kind of uh, boundary that says, you didn't ask me what I thought, or you didn't ask me for a suggestion, so I'm not going to offer. I'm not going to uh, basically, and, and this helps me to characterize it, I'm not going to go to you or any friend and say, you know what your problem is? Here's what you need. And then start telling you what I, you didn't ask me. So my role is to be quiet and be supportive. Um, what I find, though, is because I'm so oriented toward understanding things, I want to teach, I want to explain, I want to share, oh, here's how this works. And when I see somebody struggling in a situation, I feel like I know what's going on, like what the dynamic is and therefore what the solution is. It's very hard for me to stay out of going to them and basically saying, you know what your problem is? You need this. And that's just not right or healthy or helpful. But I have a hard time with it. And that's um, that's something that I'm working on on this very day. And like you said, I imagine this is going to unfold over a lifetime. This whole boundary thing is central. It's tricky. It absolutely is. And I struggled with that same uh, element. There's a lot of addiction in my family. And so when I got into recovery and other people were not, I had to learn about boundaries pretty quickly. And, you know, the ask part is essential, as you said. But what I learned was that what my problem was when they didn't ask was I was not able to deal with my helplessness. 
I didn't know that that was what was being triggered. I didn't know that that was the fear that was underneath it, that if I don't help them, what's going to happen? You know, so it was about my feelings, which is still a self-centered approach. I think I want to help you, but I'm doing it so that I don't have to feel helpless anymore. And, you know, so I worked on that a lot. In fact, I wore an engraved bracelet for a while that said, did they ask? (laughs) (laughs) I need that. (laughs) And the second one I got said, is it mine to do? Because, you know, boundaries is about, as you already said, knowing what is mine. And if it's none of my business, I need to stay out of it, you know, and, and that's difficult. But, you know, I, some of the tools that I learned for that is, is it's perfectly acceptable to just listen or it's perfectly acceptable to walk away. You know, if this is none of my business, I just need to leave. Yeah, I've mentioned before and, I'll, and I'm sure I'll mention again such a wonderful uh, lesson that I received in in a twelve step uh, environment where uh, one of the other people there was sharing on this very topic, and she got to asking herself this question, just like your bracelet: Who made me the teacher? Who made me the teacher? Why is it all of a sudden that I'm the one that's supposed to stand up and tell everyone how it is? Who made me the teacher? Did they ask? No, they did not. And it, it does get a little tricky because um, certainly I can see that in a black and white manner, but are there sometimes, you know, if somebody's drowning, as uh, they didn't ask me to save them, well, come on, I'm, I'm going to help someone who's drowning, uh, whether they ask me or not. Um, and so it's just like everything, I suppose, in this, there is a balance and that's something that we learn along the way. You know, I had some of those same struggles. And where I arrived for my own self is if safety is involved, personal safety, uh, bodily safety of, of others, then I jump in. And I worry about it later as to whether I crossed a boundary or not. But lacking that, then I, I have to back up and I have to use other tools like, like saying, would you like some help? Or I can think of three or four things. Would you like to hear these suggestions? Or things of that nature that respect the boundary and show that I know what my side of the street looks like without trampling on the other person instead of just you know telling them how to live their life because I hadn't done such a great job of living my own, <laughs> you know, which, which leads me to a point that I was told was if I spot it, I got it. You know, if I can see it in other people, I probably have experience with the same thing or, or some element of that particular quality within me that uh, have I worked on that with me? You know, where how where is that showing up? And in other words, am I looking at a mirror that I need to be looking at what I'm doing? I'm thinking back to um, the time when I, I didn't know that my being okay is not tied to what other people are doing or not doing. And just like you shared where I, I might on the outside look like I'm offering help, but really it's a self-centered motive because I don't feel okay. I don't feel you're making me nervous with what you're doing. I need you to do something different so that I can feel okay. That's self-centered motive, even if on the outside it might look altruistic or it might look like um, I am in a serving mode. I'm really just serving myself, trying to assuage my own fear by changing you, what you are or not doing. You know, related to to that asking part, uh, did they ask? The thing that I needed to do was to learn to ask for what I needed instead of manipulating to get my needs met. 
instead of, um, you know, I need to say things like, I feel helpless. Is there anything I can do to help? And own my feelings and own my own stuff as opposed to jumping in there to be be the hero and fix it, you know, which is really an ego-driven kind of choice. But I didn't know what taking care of myself looked like. You know, I was busy taking care of everybody else. And I, and I learned how to do that pretty well, but I didn't know what self-care looked like. And so the pendulum swings, you know, how do you do self-care without being selfish? Well, <laughs> you know, for me, it was kind of a, a longer learning curve because I, the pendulum swang from one extreme to the other. Oh, I'm, I'm busy. I'm taking care of myself. And I was neglecting actual needs of the people around me, you know, and then I'm all busy doing that. And guess what? I'm all into their stuff now and I'm not taking care of myself. So it, you know, it, it take, took me a while to learn where those, um, to come to a place where that pendulum would rest in the middle instead of swinging wildly from one end to the other. Nothing is simple. That's what drives me crazy about life sometimes. And I mean, it's both the, the beauty and the, um, I don't know what else, you know, the, the wonder of life is that it is that it's not simple. Uh, but then again, I, I really, uh, during the time when I was drinking and it was working, that was simple. And I think that, uh, again, out of fear, I, you know, wanted to gravitate toward the magic bullet solution or the, the magic elixir in this case, uh, of alcohol. You know, early on, I heard this phrase about allowing others the dignity of their own process. And I thought I understood what that means. I'm not so sure that I understood what it meant then. And I, and I'm pretty sure that that's still unfolding for me. And, and that's getting at, um, you know, we're, we're answering the question here, what a healthy boundaries look like. My approach to answering that is almost just say, well, here's what they don't look like. <laughs> they don't look like me getting in your business. They don't look like me with a selfish motivation pretending that uh, it's not. Uh, it doesn't look like me telling other people what they need to be doing in their recovery or being the teacher when no one has asked me uh, to be the teacher. What it does look like is allowing other people their own path just like mine. Someone had pointed out to me recently that it, I know what to do if I need help. I know who to ask. I know how to get help. I don't need people offering unsolicited advice or assistance to me. So why am I doing it to other people? I know what to do. I can trust that they do as well. And that's a lot of old behavior to change. You know, for me, it was a lot of old thinking that led to this type of behavior. And so when I got in recovery, here now I'm I'm I get the red light. Stop doing that. You know all those things that you mentioned. But I don't know what to do differently. <laughs> yes. You know, and and that was always the difficult part was I could recognize one old behavior. Okay, there I am in my sister's business again. Okay, and I learned to say things like never mind, never mind. That wasn't any of my business. And and to back up. You know, but there's a lot of uh, ingrained behaviors and culturation too fed into this where I had to learn that stop doing that and then go ask somebody for help. How do I handle this? How, how do I deal with this situation? And that's when I was given the advice. Well, did they ask? Yeah, I need to get that bracelet that you're talking about. <laughs> that, sound, that sounds like an excellent piece of advice that's, like I said, it's, it's front and center for me right now. But let's hold that thought because it is time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you. As we continue the conversation, the phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation, remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. This is Biotech. The year is 2149, and the world has become a very dark place. People have augmented their bodies with technology to the point they are no longer human. Yet one brilliant and determined scientist wants to bring the human spirit back to this bleak planet and begins to develop 12 divine attributes that were born in her. Check out the Biotech comic book series from Unity Books, available at biotechcomic.com. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Is life getting you down? Don't worry, choose happy. Join Dr. Marissa Pay every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central and get ready to shift your outlook. Dr. Marissa is an organizational psychologist and life balance coach who will help you to process the tough stuff. Get real-life strategies you can use today to experience more hope and happiness. Call in and join the live show or listen later on demand only on unityonlineradio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, 
please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were talking about the challenge of self-centeredness that so many of us in recovery have experienced and also what the solution of healthy boundaries look like or actually a lot of what they don't look like so that maybe we can begin to see what they do look like. So Lonnie, now that we know about that challenge of self-centeredness and that the solution is to develop healthy boundaries, how exactly can doing that, developing healthy boundaries, bring us to a life of harmony with others? Well, you know, something that was critical for me was to find out when I was violating other people's boundaries. I had to become aware, you know, and I found out on my spiritual path that awareness is the first step. You know, I have so much, so many of those blind spots you were speaking about earlier that I didn't know. Uh, and I'll give an example. I was in a, in a meeting. I was brand new in the program. I had been to this meeting twice, and I walked up to somebody that, that looked friendly. I had seen him in the meeting a couple of times, and I reached out to give him a hug. And the woman said, don't touch me. And I'm going, what? what? <laughs> you know, and of course, then I took that personally, like, oh, well, it's all about me. I, uh, what did I do <laughs> wrong? You know, and all of that kind of thing. But all that she said was a clear boundary. She did not want to be touched, which was fine. Now I understand that. At the time, I thought I had done something terribly wrong, you know, but um, I learned from that. I agree that awareness is is front and center or, or that or that's the beginning step at least I you know I'd found that true um, in that excellent book that Reverend Robert Brummett wrote called Living Originally and um, he walks you through some uh, meditation processes for self-transformation and the first one is about awareness and so that explains in a way why um, I was spending so much time a few minutes ago talking about what boundaries are not, because uh, as you're pointing out, maybe one good way to learn what they are is to realize, well, when I'm trampling about, oh, I did what? Okay, I just walked across the boundary. I didn't see it, but now that I've violated it, now I can see it better. So I can learn what boundary, what healthy boundaries look like by making mistakes and by missing them and by, um, you know, learning from other people like that example that you just gave. And so, you know, I confess that I am no expert in this. Uh, I, I'd probably be better off just to listen to our listeners talking about um, healthy boundaries. This is a growing edge for me now. I'm grateful for the opportunity, um, but I, I'm certainly not an expert. I do know enough to know that uh, I think you're right on with uh, awareness being the first step. You know, and many of us have been in a profession in our, in our work careers where we were taught professional boundaries. And many of us grew up in families where there were uh, few or inappropriate personal boundaries. And, you know, one of the things in the literature says that our, our problems are because we don't know how to relate to other people. And so, so most of my com comments are about interpersonal boundaries. You know, I can follow a set of rules they give me in the workplace, you know, about how you behave in a workplace. But when I interact with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis or even in a group, I have more difficulty identifying what is the boundary because there was, it's a gray area and it can be different for everybody. It's okay to hug one person, but you better not touch the next one, you know, so it gets kind of confusing. So one of the things that I had to do was accept responsibility for my own reactions to whatever was going on, my behavior and my reactions. I had to quit blaming others, you know, I had to quit saying, well, you made me, 
feel this way, do this, think that by whatever you said. And I had to quit playing into the, oh, the paranoia that went with that. And I had to have some um, uh, professional assistance with that because I, first of all, I wasn't aware that that was not a normal thought pattern. You know, and secondly, I had to modify my behavior, even though that thought pattern was still going on. I had to not allow that fear to drive me. I think you're absolutely right in that. I think that's one reason that this is such a difficult skill to um, develop is that it is kind of a gray area in many ways. And, and, you know, boundaries are cultural. And I would say that they're even regional. Uh, for example, uh, in general, I have found that in the in the unity movement, we are we tend to be huggy people. Right? It's not uncommon at all to go into a Unity Sunday church service and have congregants greeting and, and hugging one another. Now, I know people that said that you know they, they, that makes them want to leave and not come back to the service. I know people for whom that's the best part about it is that uh, we're huggy like that. And so you don't know. It can vary person to person, uh, church to church, um, culture to culture. I noticed that I'm slowly learning how to uh, let other people do what they do and to not tie that to my sense of being okay in the world, which most broadly I, I would put under the umbrella of self-care in a way. It's, it's working to decouple uh, what you do or don't do from how it, me feeling okay in the world. I think that that is um, a, a central, well, I know for me now it's a central focus of the work that I'm doing, and I can look back and see how that dynamic was part of, you know, what was driving the fear in my life that we talked about earlier, the ways, the things that making me show up uh, in a self-centered manner, um, those, those fears, it's driving that kind of thing. So, you know, learning how to come into balance is what that is to, uh, and again, tying back to the concept of oneness to realize that nobody is inherently any better, any worse than anyone else. And to let people be who they need to be and know that I'm still okay. That's a, that's a skill. I find that that's a skill that needs to be developed over time. And it's, and I don't find it simple and I don't find it to be black and white, but I, I do find that I can and am and do and have learned it. And it is a difficult thing. And one of the things that helped me with that was learning that I had choices. And then I had to identify those choices. And, and, and one of the things that I heard you say, rephrased, would be, can I be okay even if you do this, mm. X, Y, Z, whatever it might be? Change the channel on the television. And can I be okay? Well, what are my choices? I can be okay, but I don't have to sit there and watch that with you. I can, you know, I can go someplace else or go to a meeting or go read a book or go take a bubble bath or what. I don't have to sit there and subject myself to whatever you want to watch. That's a choice. And I didn't know for a long time that I had choices like that that I was not um, willing to make, you know, because of people pleasing, really. But we were going to spend the evening watching TV, but I don't want to watch that. You know, I mean, that set me up in a double bind. And so... Uh, being able to see the gray area and and identify choices that were there was very helpful to me. This reminding me about um, when I when I think about that question is how how is it that healthy boundaries can help me move from self centeredness to 
uh, more of a harmonious way. And one is that I learned to balance my needs with the needs of others um, in, in a, what I would call healthy compromise. So using your example, which I have had, you know, experience. Well, we're, we watch this show on TV and so on, you know, on Thursday night, we always watch this show and then something else is going on and, and somebody says, Hey, I, I thought we were going to do this and, and I need flexibility and, you know, just to not to steamroll and say, Oh, well, you know, well, I'm not doing that. Have fun. I'm doing this, but to um, be able to hold in, in, again, I think of it more of a balance or, I think uh, every good relationship is kind of like, you know, that image of a binary star where the, the two stars in the binary star system, they, they, they have an orbit around one another. And sometimes they're further apart and sometimes they're closer. And it, it's a very organic flow and the whole thing just moves along. And so I need to uh, learn to balance my own needs with the needs of others. So I might step back and say, you know what, I, I did commit to this time together and it, it is right for me to do my other thing some other time it's right for me to go with our commitment or it, it might be different you know i can i can talk to uh the person and and figure something out but you know the the whole thick concept of balance coming in again i have needs others have needs can we balance our needs to find a creative solution uh, that supports us both well, and for me, that leads into, first of all, knowing what I need, and then second, asking for it, you know, for, using the same example. So something came up is, I have to evaluate that. Is that more important than the time I committed to spend with my partner doing whatever we were going to be doing? Or do I need to go and say, hey, this just came up, you know, and I really feel like I ought to attend to this and get some buy-in, you know, or get to get some reality check that says, no, you know what, why don't you do it this way? Or why don't you do it then? Or, or why don't you, do you even really need to do that? Is that yours to do? You know, I mean, I get all kinds of feedback when I'm willing to ask for input, you know, about is, is this uh, what I need to be doing. And, you know, for me, there's a fine line between that and codependency. What do you want me to do? You know, going to somebody and, and asking for their permission, basically. That's not running my own life either. And, and uh, you know, so it is a, a balancing act. And one of the things that comes into it for me is when I clearly know what I need to do, I need to be uh, clear and firm about it. Make my yeses, yeses, and my noes, noes. One of the things with people-pleasing that I found when I was working on this is that maybe is just leaving a door open. And so of course somebody's going to ask again and again and again, and I'm going to get annoyed because, you know, I feel like my boundaries are being crossed. I meant no, but I said, maybe, you know, and so I have to learn to say what I mean. Yeah. I was thinking about that as well. Um, that the developing the skill of being able to communicate clearly, uh, where I'm at, with something, you know, communicating clearly where I'm at is not the same thing as making a demand. It's not the same thing as saying, therefore, it has to be this way. It's just uh, making sure that uh, everyone involved uh, understands what's going on. And if each person uh, is able to uh, be clear about where they are with something, then I think um, the possibility of working together um, for a solution that will work for everyone, as you described in your example, uh, becomes possible. So, you know, one way that we use boundaries to move from self-centeredness to harmony is by 
uh, being willing to express ourselves, being or, or personally, for me, being willing to express myself clearly without attaching an agenda to it, just in in the in the name of full communication, express where I'm at with something. I needed to work on my thinking patterns as well, because you mentioned how boundaries can be cultural or regional. The boundaries are taught. You know, they're not something we're born with. And so in the families we grow up in, we, we are influenced greatly by the type of boundaries that are or are not in place in, in those environments. And, you know, I needed to understand uh, what my needs were. I needed to know what my motives were. I needed to know what the next right thing to do was. And on top of that, I was a people pleaser. So I had this big, big ball of worms, you know, that I was trying to untangle. And what helped me immensely, probably as much as anything, was to base it on principle. You know, when I would, could base my decision making on principle, spiritual principles, instead of what he said, she said, they said last time, next time, what if, all of that stuff that runs around inside of my head, you know, is this honest? Is it true? You know, is it helpful? Is it kind? Uh, those kind of things, you know, um, when, I, when I would base my thinking and therefore my decision making on that, that helped me probably as much as anything with boundaries. For me, what's come to mind recently is the goal is uh, that I know that I can retain or regain my serenity when, when I can distinguish what's mine to do and what's not mine to do. Because when I begin to confuse what's mine to do and what's not mine to do, uh, my serenity often goes out the window pretty quickly. Now, of course, the simplest example of that is uh, someone else's behavior. Um, I've noticed that it's a lot easier for me to uh, be harmonious and balanced and uh, in good relation with, say, acquaintances in a home group, you know, of so-and-so uh, fell off the wagon, went out or whatever. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope they come back. We're here to support them. Well, if it's your spouse, sibling, or whatever, uh, it gets a lot more challenging. There's just a lot more wrapped up in that. And so it seems like that that's really where these principles uh, come to be tested is in, um, you know, more of in our family situations than in uh, more distant, uh, what I would call, I guess, acquaintances. And so uh, this is all about each of us uh, regaining or retaining our serenity by distinguishing what, you know, what is mine? What do I own? Or as I've heard it said, what's inside my hula hoop and what's not? Because if I can be aware of that again, again, with the awareness, if I can simply be aware of that, I feel like that's half the battle right there. Oh, absolutely. You know, if I can be aware, I have a much better chance, um, you know, of understanding what's going on, of, behaving appropriately, you know, but so much of this goes on inside my head. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've commented before about how I can follow rules and I can behave. I can talk the talk and I can walk the walk, but do I believe it? You know, and I find that it's those belief systems about boundaries. Well, they shouldn't be acting like that. Well, all they did was set a boundary, you know, but I didn't like that boundary. You know, so something else I learned about it was that when boundaries are set, they are also have to be defended. And I don't like that word because it sounds uh, contentious, but, you know, 
they have to be taught, which means they have to be reinforced, which means they have to be explained again and not explained like why, but just know this is what the boundary is. Yes. And, and that is, um, can be frustrating, especially when you're brand new and you're scared to death and you try to set one boundary and you go, wow, got that done. And then somebody bumps into it. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I have to do this again? What? You know, it's not, not something I look forward to, especially with my family. I remember having a, a birthday party um, and I had invited my whole family down and there were two things going on. One was I was the only non-smoker in my family. And so I sent a birthday card out that said, you know, an invitation that said there will be no smoking. There were three rules. One was there will be no smoking. The second is that there will be no alcohol. And the third one was everybody is welcome. And that was to address a particular situation where uh, one family member did not like somebody else's potential spouse and said, well, if they're coming, I'm not coming. And I <laughs> said, everybody's welcome. You guys figure it out. You know, and so when one person stayed home, which was fine, but I was scared to death to set that set of boundaries. They were simple boundaries, but that I was less than six months clean and to be able to set that. Wow. And say, this is my house and these are my rules, you know, and if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but you're, you know, these, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Very clear. And what I'm hearing you say is it's a, you know, you don't have to come. You don't have to fall. I'm not mad at you. I'm just letting you know, this is how it is. And I think that's a great example of healthy boundaries, you know, and also that's a terrific example of family. I could just hear it, you know, <laughs> well, if so-and-so is going, I'm not, oh my gosh, that that's family in a nutshell. Uh, my first unity minister, whom I dearly love, Chad O'Shea, you, you had several sayings that have stuck with me. And one of them is this question he would ask himself, is this drama worth one moment of my serenity? You know, so where is that line? Is this inside my hula hoop? Am I the teacher? Did anyone ask me what I thought? You know, assuming they're not uh, physically dying, uh, like your good example, someone's drowning, I'll, I'll, I'll save them and apologize later if I cross the boundary. But short of those extreme situations, is this drama worth one moment of my serenity? Now, the answer is almost always no. But and that just because I can ask and answer no doesn't mean that I'm not going to just go ahead and uh, make a mess of it anyway. But I think it's a great litmus test to um, really quickly get to the core of the issue about boundaries. Is this drama worth even one moment of my serenity? You know, and as you pointed out, that um, it doesn't mean that you haven't lost your serenity already over it. It may not be worth it, and you know that the answer's no, but you know, with this power of focus that we have called obsession, you know, <laughs> I, I don't become aware always that I'm already obsessed about this thing until my serenity's already gone. And so then, you know, I, yes, I go, no, it's not worth this one moment of this, of this moment of my time, but you know, what am I gonna do about it? Well, that's an invitation then for another tool, which for me is the power of release. You know, it's one of the 12 powers. It's one of the powers that we talk about a lot. It's one that in my life was underutilized. I grabbed on onto everything and held on for dear life. I didn't let go of anything. As they say, everything I let go of had claw marks all over it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so um, finding myself in that situation gives me an invitation to employ the power of release once I have become aware that that's what's going on. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I love just in general how practical and helpful that unity 12 power framework really is. It, it helps me to put 
words and and concepts and then even actions uh, around something that that can seem fuzzy and nebulous like this. So I think that's a wonderful example. I'm remembering a book that I uh, encountered early in my recovery um, by Terry Cole Whitaker, and the title is "What You Think of Me Is None of My Business." And that, that when I first heard that, I thought, you know, what? What, what you think of me is none of my business was a, it was a world-shifting concept for me. I had never heard anything like that before. And so I got uh, Terry's book, and I, it was just so super helpful to me. And that was uh, an example of early on in my recovery life needing like big and clear examples of you know, this whole boundary thing. It's like, can, can I really be okay and this is what it's coming down to. Can I really be okay in the world, no matter what you may or may not think about me? Yes, I can. Well, I'm sign me up. I'm interested for anything that's going to help me to make that a true statement. What you think of me is none of my business. I found it very uh, healing and, and powerful. One of the skills that I had to learn was also how to stand up for myself. You know, in the people-pleasing world, we, you know, give our power away. And we're talking about reclaiming our power here, the power of choice and, the, you know, the, the power of release and, and other powers that we have um, within us. And being able to stand up for myself always felt like as a kid and as a young adult, it always felt very adversarial. You know, it always felt like a fight, and I, I was had fear of confrontation, and so I didn't do that a lot. I did a lot of avoidance kind of things, and, you know, so learning how do I do this in a healthy way um, helped me a lot, and, and that was to say things like, well, I just don't remember it that way. You might be right, and I don't remember it that way. You know, it's a both-and kind of thing where I felt a little at a time that I could um, not just have to acquiesce. I like that a lot, that phrase um, or, you know, a variation. That's not how I remember it, because like you said, that's not I might be remembering it wrong, but I'm communicating again. I uh, spoke a minute ago about clearly communicating where I am. that's a way to clearly communicate one's position without, um, at, you know, adding a judgment on top of it. To say that's not how I remember it is, uh, in a way, it's a, it's an invitation for discussion instead of saying, no, that's not how it was. It was like this. That's a very, very different energy. You know, I find that um, just like in we, we hear the cliche in real estate that there are three things that are important in real estate, right? Location, location, location. In recovery and spiritual growth, to me, it's balance, balance, and balance. Everything is about balance. Everything seems to circle back to, comes back to, comes into balance with, uh, ironically, that idea that um, if I can balance who I am with who others are, if I can balance my needs with your needs, if I can balance um, you know, any aspect of, of living with others, that's what this is all about. But let us now shift gears and move into action. Because unity's fifth principle states that it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from putting yourself first to living in harmony with others using healthy boundaries. 
think of a way that you just might be putting yourself ahead of or above others in your life. Are there times when you insist on having your own way regardless of what others want? Do you have a habit of asking, what's in it for me, when you encounter an invitation to work with others? Or maybe there's some other way that you are over-focused on self and out of balance with others. What's important is to pick one thing, preferably something simple, to focus on in this exercise. The idea is to relax and to let it be easy. And there's no need to struggle. You can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So let's use the example of habitually asking what's in it for me when an opportunity to get involved in something with others arises. We use a statement of power, or what we refer to in unity as a denial, to deny any power to your old ways of putting self first. You could say something like, my past behavior does not define me. Repeat it a few times in your head or even aloud, but say it with conviction. My past behavior does not define me. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I am spirit. I have an infinite capacity to grow and change. It is my choice. Then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. My past behavior does not define me. I am spirit. I have an infinite capacity to grow and change. It is my choice. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope that you found something to help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights shared in our discussion today. Listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, and until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.